I, I really feel this. If he wasn't a quarterback, he might be an offensive lineman, right? That would be his next position. Man, he's thicker than a frozen snicker. No question. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. Season two, as you know, is all about those players that have a championship and a Super Bowl ring, but we're also partnering with DraftKings in season two to help you enhance your sporting experience. Make sure you use the promo code WINGO when you download and use the DraftKings app. Our guest this week comes to us from the hotbed of NFL talent known as New York City High School Football. I'm kidding, that doesn't really exist. Very few people do come out of New York City High School football to make it in the NFL, but Willie Colon did. A very successful offensive lineman for a lot of years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Super Bowl champ, and a guy who has made the very successful transition from playing football to talking about football. Now, we recorded this episode during the season, uh, so you need to understand that when we have some of the conversations. So please now enjoy our episode with Willie Colon. Willie, how are you? Man, thanks for having me. What's up, Trey, baby? Well, let, let's talk about this because your story is very unique. Uh, you obviously played at a very high level for many years in the NFL, but you came from a place that I would not consider a football hotbed, which would be the city of New York. I mean, there are there are the outliers like yourself right. and Curtis Samuel, who's now playing for the Carolina Panthers. But let's be honest, high school football in the city of New York doesn't yeah. really bring a lot of people to the NFL. Man, you that's 100% true, man. I went to Cardinal Hayes High School right in the South Bronx, right on, on the Grand Concourse, which is about a stone's throw away from Yankee Stadium. Uh, and I grew up playing, like, you know, I'm, I'm from New York City. I'm from the Bronx. I grew up playing basketball and baseball. There is nowhere, uh, there is nowhere to play football, technically. You pretty much either play in the street or you get a, you know, you, you get a back alley, you kind of throw the ball around. But for me, man, I was in love with Lawrence Taylor. I loved him. He was he was like the goat to me. Um, he represented like a sense of freedom. He was he cussed. He was badass. It seemed like nobody in the world could beat him up. And I was a diehard Giants fan. So when I got to high school, uh, I actually did, I missed the training camp uh, before the freshman team uh, for the freshman team report. So I reported to school, walked downstairs to uh, the coach at the time. His name was Wild Bill uh, Wild Bill Jensen. He had these thick ass Coke bottle glasses. And I was like, hey, man, I'm here to sign up for the team. He was like, team, that, that happened in August. We, we're about to play our first game uh, <laughs> and on Saturday. He's like, you're, you're late, son. And then he looked at he looked at me. He looked me up and down. He was like, hold up. He said, what, what size shoe do you wear? And I was like, oh, I wear a 14. He was like, how old do you? I was like, well, I'm, I'm 14. And he was just like, I was like, my, you know, my, sh my shoe size usually grows with my age. So when I'm a 15, yeah. I wear a 15. And he was just like, how much do you weigh? I was like, well, I'm about 250. I was about 250. He's like, well, you show up to practice tomorrow. We'll have a spot for you. So all that kind of, <laughs> all that kind of, all the fluff went out the window, uh, man. And I was just passionate about the game. What was wild? I think most guys who play up, uh, play city football, you're not playing like you know. You look at the Floridas and the Texas and you know the the California. Those guys, it's always sunny and beautiful, and kids are just out there throwing the football around. They can play all year round. Man, I was playing with kids that were from third world countries. Like I was playing kids that were from Colombia and the Dominican Republic who had never seen or heard of football. There was just an opportunity, them, uh, opportunity for them, you know, not to get in trouble after school. So they were signing up to play football. So I was playing with kids who were pretty much living an adult life. I remember one kid I played with, he, I mean, he would smoke a pack of cigarettes right before practice. And he wore a big gold chain and he, and he had soccer cleats, he had baseball cleats. 
he didn't know no, he didn't know anything about football. He was just he knew he can play. He loved the game from what he heard, and he participated. So I was always playing with kids who had a little bit of a language barrier, who came from the you know the Caribbean, who played you know different sports outside of football. So when they got to the city, it was an opportunity to try something that they saw on TV, and they jumped all in. So it was a unique experience in itself. Well, there's two things we need to touch on there. Number one. Uh, how did the smoking of the cigarettes help him in any way, shape, or form? Because that's an unusual training regimen, I think. Most people would not suggest, hey, before a game, go roll through a pack of Winstons. Right. He was, he was man, the kid was – because you know what it is, uh, Trey? Yeah. A lot of these kids, when they come from these countries, they live somewhat of adult life. They're drinking at an early age. You know, they're, they're around, you know, their peers who are a little bit older. So they're, they're forced to grow up faster. So when they get to the country um, – you know, what's normal to us is, you know, what's normal to us is boring to them. They want to go about their day to day. And they, the kid was used to, you know, waking up and, 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 and smoking a cigarette to having a little cocktail and off to, so, you know, to chemistry. You know, it was just, it was just <laughs> you know, and if it works for them, maybe everyone else. No, we're not we're kidding. We shouldn't do that. Don't do that. But you mentioned Lawrence Taylor. And I got to tell yeah. you, when you, you said you brought up one of my favorite stories of all time, I was just beginning to work in the business. And it was a player strike in 1987. And obviously Lawrence didn't cross the picket line. So I'm walking down uh, Central Park West uh, and I look up and Lawrence Taylor is walking down the street, coming towards me. And first of all, to see him on TV and then you see him in person, you're like, oh my God. And he looked miserable. Like obviously that man was born to beat the shit out of quarterbacks, right? That's what he was, that's what he was meant to do on this earth and he couldn't do it. And he walked by me and I was terrified that if I even looked at him the wrong way, he was going to take that shit out on me. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. He was so angry that he couldn't hit somebody. It's like that line from uh, The Hunt for Red October. Let's give this American a wide berth. You know, I, I made sure I crossed the street just to make yeah. sure I didn't make Lawrence Taylor angry at me. So I get what you're talking about. When I loved it, man. I love, I love that mad dog attitude and, and his persona and everything he represented. And I know it's tough because, you know, Lawrence Taylor now will probably get dragged through the media, right? Like he would sure. be probably people would people would think he's the worst thing that ever happened to uh, football. But back then, you know, he represented New York. You know, he was that cup of Joe. He was kind of that guy that you know, you know, just the, the go to. He was everything for me. The the S curl and and the, you know, kind of the, that 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 little that viper type, you know, bite he had to him. So I loved him, man. And I was I had a big poster of him on on my wall as a kid. And I wanted to do everything he did. So when I had the opportunity to play football, you know, all I cared about was being the next Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, one, one other quick Lawrence Taylor story, and then we'll move on. My favorite bit of NFL films all time, they mic'd him up for a preseason game against the Jets. A preseason game. Right. And he went crazy. At one point, he breaks through and sacks Ken O'Brien. And as he's leaning over him, he says, son, y'all got to do better than this. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. <laughs> yes. Y'all got to do better, man. Yeah, he's uh, looking at Ken O'Brien. This can't be life for you guys. It's going to be a long season. I remember yeah. that. Preseason game. So uh, Lawrence Taylor is there to wreck the quarterback. Your job as an offensive lineman, which, by the way, on many levels, my son played offensive lineman in college. It's the worst because you only get recognized when you fuck up, right? That's no the question. worst thing about being an offensive lineman. You're never recognized for the job you do by, the, by your fans or spectators. Mm-hmm. People in the room know, but nobody else. So your job, obviously, is to protect the quarterback. And as we sit here, the Steelers are having a much better season in 2020 than they did in 2019, if we're honest about it, for right. one reason. Ben Roethlisberger's playing and Duck Hodges, God bless him, and Mason Rudolph are not playing. It shows how important the quarterback position is in the NFL. 
Well, I, listen, man, I, I tell everybody, the thing about Ben, man, which I'm happy about, you can tell that he's in a just a better headspace. He doesn't seem yeah. like a guy, you know, who is dealing with anything other than playing football. And it, there was so much coming out of the locker room with him dealing with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and him tr- kind of being the old guy now, trying to have to, to adjust with the new, in this new wave of Steeler uh, players, this new generation. So now he's, all that's to the side. And now you see him playing football. Um, he's relatively healthy. Uh, and now he's coming into a position where, you know, now he can just sit back and he can operate and control. There's so much about, you know, there's so much of, him really operating and coordinating and getting things together on the field, you know, calling the plays as they go, kind of improv, and him just looking like a field general out there. I love it, man. And I'm I'm just happy that, you know, nobody knows when he's going to decide to hang it up. But at least you're getting to see Ben Roethlisberger um, kind of be complete. And I think he's complete right now. Um, and, and that's and as a friend and as somebody who I call a brother, I, that's, that's all you want for a guy like that. All right, so what's the best Ben Roethlisberger story you can tell and still be his friend and his brother that we man. don't know about, that we need to know about? You trying to get me you trying to get me in trouble, man. I, I'm trying to get you to toe the line. Yeah. Not cross over it, but toe the line. Man, you know what it is? So many stories. You got to understand, when, I, when, I, when me and Ben were together and when I was, you know, on the Steelers, we were growing up together. You know, when I got to the Steelers, man, I, in, in 06, he had just won a Super Bowl in 05. That was Jerome Bettis' last game. But that that room, uh, my offensive line room to be exact, they were older. Those guys were in their 30s. You know, while I was talking about leaving the strip clubs and having a hell of a night and waking up to with random women, you know, these guys were talking about practice and going home to do algebra with their kids. So there was yeah. a little bit of a disconnect. Ben was kind of more on, on, on my side because he was still young. And so he grew up with uh, my generation of the offensive line when it was just me and and Matt Starks and Chris Kimoatu and, um, you know, Justin Hardwick. You know, we were kind of all in the same age, age range. So we kind of grew up really doing – figuring life out uh, together. And we got into a lot of wild shit. Uh, but overall, you know, as far as like a Ben story, man, you know, I, I think – I think it's what everybody has already seen. You know, the kid is just tough as hard, his rusted boat nails. You know, he's nothing he wouldn't do to win on Sunday. And he's one of those guys, man, where, you know, without kind of blowing him, you know, you really look at him and you see, when you see him put on the cape, you're like, now I get, I get why he gets paid $100 million. Like, you, yeah. it, you get it. And so um, there is an, I have a lot of stories, but I don't think I could tell. Uh, the ones, you know, you know, he's a married man of three. So I think Ashley, his wife, would be like, "All right, Willie, you, you, you fucking up the money. You better keep your mouth shut." Yeah, you you be you won't be at the next family reunion if we go too exactly. far with this. But but here's the question: If he wasn't, I I really feel this. If he wasn't a quarterback, he might be an offensive lineman, right? That would be his next position. Man, he's thicker than a frozen snicker. No question. <laughs> no question. And the guy, the guy loves his sweets. He loves his vanilla ice cream. He loves his beers. Um, he's just a down-home guy. Like I tell everybody, one of the biggest things that I think the world gets robbed of when it comes to Big Ben, if you sit him down and you put him in a room where he doesn't feel like he has to be guarded or watch who's around him, he's the best guy to talk to, honestly. He's, he's, just, he's, he's, he's that type of guy you want to sit down and have a beer with and laugh with. A lot of times when, you you know, because of the outside world and some of the things he has been involved in and everything that has gone on in his career, you know, I think people have put him in a bubble and I think he is guarded. But I think watching him play, watching how he reacts to certain things and just see him out there, 
you can tell he's more centered than I think I've ever seen him be. And uh, and I, I think that's, you know, that, that's what I'm happy about. And, you know, Ben is one of those guys, he's hella competitive. Um, you know, when I my time with him when I was in Pittsburgh, we competed at everything, whether it was horse to pool basketball. Uh, we would play basketball in the pool, man, and he was a dirty son of a bitch. He would step on your toes <laughs> underwater. What he would do, he would step on your toes underwater and dunk on you. That was his move. Yeah. And, he, and so me and the office line, and hey, we had so many fucking uh, brutal games at pool basketball. You know, I think I got more bruises at pool basketball than going against the Cleveland Browns with him. So he's just that type of dude, man. And uh, it's, it's, it's wild because I think when you see where the game is now, you, you, that's the one thing I do miss. I wonder if the guys are as competitive as we were as a Steelers team because we competed at everything. Yeah, well, but that's why he would be an offensive lineman because if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And, you know, right. It, it ain't holding if it ain't called, right? We, we all know that. You got a man 290 pounds trying to run through your face. What, are we supposed to just stand there and just hug him? We got to hold on to something. So that's why you have that power with the rep before every game. What is holding and what isn't holding? <laughs> I need to know now because I'm going to do some of it. All right, it seems like a good time to take a break, fill your glass, and when we come back, we'll talk about a couple of things that we need to discuss including why Mike Tomlin doesn't get the respect he deserves and yep. what it's like to win and lose the biggest game of all time. Stay with us. You know, here on Half Forgotten History, we love talking to the legends in the game about the stories behind some of their most rewarding moments, sometimes in the biggest game possible. And when you're off the field, well, you want to be rewarded as well. So if you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. For example, you feeling hungry? Well, check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining, and get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? Well, the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter, earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card, get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cashback, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Incorporated. And the cards are available to U.S. residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey everybody, it is that time of year again. Conference tournaments are tipping off. Bubble teams are making that final push for a bid while the top seeds are preparing for what they hope is gonna be a long run through March and early April. And DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog, win $256 if they win. It literally is that simple. And we all know picking a few upsets is the most fun of March Madness. So bet just $4 on select college basketball games. And if that underdog wins, you collect $256. The bank is most definitely open. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WINGO when you sign up to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. Remember, that's promo code WINGO to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, and new customers only. Some restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. 
And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, back with Willie Colon. So let's uh, raise a glass and tell a few more stories. And let's talk about Mike Tomlin for a second. For people that don't understand what it means to be a Steelers head coach, this is my favorite stat of all time. Since 1970, number of Popes, five. Number of Steelers head coaches, three. Wow. So when you, when they pick you as a Steelers <laughs> coach, they stick with you more than any other organization. Since then, it's been Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, and now Mike Tomlin. I think people are finally realizing the coach he is. When you played for him, how quickly did you know, damn, this guy knows what the hell he's doing? Man, it, it was it, – I don't think it was that for me. It was just more how he operated – with guys on an individual basis. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy for a coach to sit in a position to be like, all right, I'm the law. This is what we're going to do. This is how we operate. And so you kind of follow that, that that road. It was, for me, how I watched him handle each guy individually, which made me say, hmm, there's something to this guy. Because he didn't talk to everybody the same. He didn't operate. Some guys he was close with. Some guys he was like, hey, I'm you know, I'm the coach. You the play. Go to work for me. And there's other guys, how he, he kind of manifested relationships through the season. And I try to say this, uh, I don't think this is talked about enough. You know, a lot of people see Mike Tomlin as this great and, and he has all these isms and he, he's very straightforward. And, and Mike Thomas is a businessman. You know what I mean? He's a 100% businessman. He's in the business of winning. And so much of where we see the Steelers now is him having to make hard decisions as a businessman and things that he had to endure as a head coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's a, everybody knows about all the things that happened with Antonio Brown in that locker room. And he held on to him for the simple fact that Antonio Brown is a hell of a receiver and he was winning games for the Pittsburgh Steelers at the time. And so he's had to be able to navigate all those personalities. Some guys who he felt like didn't deserve his time, but because they were, you know, good ball players for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he had to deal with. And there was other guys who he pretty much had to, you know, perk up and get ready to uh, get them ready to go every Sunday. So he's been, I've just watched him maybe able to manage and really ignite certain guys individually. And I think for me, you know, our relationship was always, was always close, but always very direct. I think he was a guy, you know, I was a guy who was on IR back-to-back -back times during my time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He knew, like, listen, if I can't, if I let Willie stay at home while he's on IR, chances are he's going to be on the south side tearing shit up, you know? Like, let me, let me take this young fella, because I took football hard. It was everything I had, everything I believed in. So for me, being stuck at my house on the weekend while the boys were on the road, um, probably wouldn't have been good for me in my rehab process. So he allowed me to travel with the team. A lot of coaches don't do that. So it kind of kept me in tune with the team and everything that had going on. Uh, and it worked. And I feel like I was, I'll be forever in debt because of that, because I needed that for my psyche. But he was one of those guys, he's one of those coaches that kind of knew what each guy kind of needed along the way. And a lot of coaches aren't that in tune, nor do they care to be, right? They got their job is to win football games and get it done. Uh, and, and, how, and hopefully everybody falls in line. He wasn't, man. And I think he he's just a great manager of men. He's not afraid to make hard decisions. He's not afraid to have hard conversations. And he's not afraid to call your ass out. There's so many times I've sat in meeting rooms on a Wednesday when it's installation. He'll turn on the big screen. And we're all sitting back thinking, you know, we had a great game. We beat, I don't know, you know, I don't know, uh, Baltimore or whatever. And we think we're about to have a fluff parade. And he'll chew each one of the guys. He'll start going after guys about the pros and cons and why, how we can get better. And then he's smart. And I remember my time when we were going against the Patriots, he, was, he would always say, like, listen, the difference between the Baltimore uh, – I mean, excuse me, the difference between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the, and the Patriots, the Patriots are just as tough, just as strong. They have the bully mentality, but they're smarter. They don't beat themselves. 
The Steelers have everything, but we beat ourselves. And it, it kind of that very direct black and white um, conversation he would have with us would kind of make us be like, all right, you know, if we want to be the best in the league, we got to tighten up. We got to be a better team. We got to be just as smart. And so it worked. It forced us to work harder. And then how we practice. When we practice hard, man, we practice a million miles an hour. We got after each other. We talked a lot of shit. And uh, a lot of it, it was him just kind of letting the dogs hunt. You know, he wasn't trying to get in the way of different personalities. He wasn't afraid of big personalities. And I think sometimes coaches, when you see a guy who's a little flamboyant or talks a lot, you know, coaches like, well, 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 Mike T's not like that. He, he's, he's all about the show, but you're going you're gonna to do it in the lines in, in which he lets you do it. I'll never forget one thing he said to me after it was during the 2019 draft uh, down in Nashville. We had him on the set, and uh, you know, obviously that was the year they got rid of Le'Veon and Antonio Brown. Right. And he said we had a cleansing, if you will. I mean, the, the way he used that phrase, because you know, like you said, when he when he knew that he had to have him there, he managed him, but he also knew that it was when it was time for them to go, and he knew what it meant to the team that those guys were no longer going to be a problem for the team. Yeah. And that's and that's tough for any ball player because I think see for me, I was there when Antonio Brown walked into that locker room and he was a he was a sweet kid, big old smile. I think he had a son at the time, um, and you could tell a guy who was really really hungry. He wanted to play football. He worked his tail off, and then you just saw kind of a progression happen, and you really didn't know where it was going. You were just happy that he was you know he was making a lot of plays on the field. He was a guy that you loved seeing in the locker room, and then you know once I left in 2013. Then I started reading the headlines, and I was kind of in, in, in touch with a lot of guys that were still in that locker room. And some of the stuff that was coming back, you were just like, man, what, what, where did the switch happen, right? Because that wasn't a guy who uh, I loved being around. And um, so now that you see him on the Bucks, man, I hope he can go back to being that kid that stepped off the bus and walked into Pittsburgh where everybody loved him. Uh, but Mike Tomlin, to go back to Mike Tomlin, man, he's – I wish more people can sit in a Saturday night meeting before the game and listen to Mike Tomlin talk. It is goddamn Emmy, like Oscar. It is poetry, it, right? It'll snatch your goddamn soul, Trey. I, so I had, yeah. when they came to the uh, visit, I think they played the Giants last year and I was able to, uh, my brother was with me and my brother knows Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin knows my brother. And so I went to go visit Ben and the boys and uh, we're all sitting down. I'm talking to the doctors and teammates. We're all kind of catching up. And Mike T's like, hey, man, we're about to go uh, meet before the final meeting, you know, team meeting before we all go to bed. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, do you want to come? I was like, yeah, whatever. So we all walk into this big room. I walk in the room. I'm catching up with all the guys. I'm hugging and we, we're all laughing. There's one big chuckle fest. And uh, Mike Tomlin walks in. Mind you, everybody's already seated, but everybody's kind of kind of talking. The room's loud. Mike Tomlin walks in and he's walking right down the middle of the room. And the place goes shh. Like it's, it just jet like quiet as a church mouse. And uh, I'm sitting there and my brother at the time, he's never been in a position like that. He kind of tightens up and Mike Thomas starts to address the room and talks about what he, what it means to be a stealer and the legacy. And he's constantly reminding these guys what it means to put on the black and gold. And you can see every fucking guy like locked in, like almost if it was like they're being hypnotized and, he goes on to call, you know, he, he obviously shouted me out in the meeting and, and he talked about my time and, and my role on the team and, and different guys like that. And it was a situation where I looked over my brother and he was like, this is the most, I, I'm ready to go through a brick wall. And I, I know I'm not getting paid. <laughs> like he just has that type of control. And uh, Mike T, man, when you talk about his ability to connect with a guy, 
it's simply him just taking off his glasses and looking you right in the eyeballs. Yeah. And when he talks, you listen. Well, listen, one of those stories that I had from him, I assume post-game for Super Bowl 43 in Tampa, you guys won over the Cardinals. And I'd done a bunch of interviews, and he had done a bunch of interviews. And I was in the locker room after the game, and I said, Mike, can I get a few? He said, I'm done. I said, I'm done. My time is – I'm off the clock, man. You can do whatever <laughs> you want. You ain't talking to me. I am off the clock. I'm like, okay, got it. My bad. I can't bother you anymore. I'll go talk to some of the players. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. Now, they found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. And now the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers they could before, and people from all over the world can visit their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at Microsoft.com slash Teams. So I've seen the elation of what yeah. it means to win a Super Bowl. And you also know what it feels like to lose. Because a couple years later, Super Bowl 45, you guys fall to the Packers 31-25. Can you put into words how different it feels to win a Super Bowl and how shitty it feels to lose one? It's the worst, man. You understand, living in Pittsburgh... It's already a gray-ass city. It's gray. Every Friday, you have the whole city putting on Steeler jerseys from the cafeteria lady to the uh, to the dude working at T-Mobile to the guy serving you pancakes in the morning. Everybody has Steeler jerseys. So the, the city really embodies and believes in the culture and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So when you go to the Super Bowl, and at the time, you got to figure, we in Dallas. I don't know why Dallas was never prepared for snow. Which is absolute. It's Bro, I, went to, I went to school down there, and it happened once or twice. They shut it down for like they an inch. Shut and it that down. Snowstorm came down. They were effed, man. They were. You had you, you had two cold weather teams coming down to Dallas. It was going to be bound to snow. We were bringing the snow with us. <laughs> and what kills me is they instead of putting salt down, they were putting sand, yeah. right? So we were so we ended up practicing at TCU, uh, and I remember getting on the bus. And they would kind of have like this over like this little camera thing where they kind of show you the news. And we were watching on the news cars that were doing 360s going down the highway. And I'm just like, I don't want to die because Dallas is not prepared for snow. And so I can remember Mike Tomlin was saying like, listen, man, ain't nothing going to stop us. They're going to bring a hurricane, whatever. We coming to win the goddamn Super Bowl. And so he kind of locked us into that week. If Dallas ain't prepared, if Green Bay – well, we knew Green Bay was going to be prepared. Hell, snow's in Green Bay. Whatever the situation is, we're going to be prepared for that game. And we were prepared for that game, and I really felt. But alongside of that, we did have three turnovers that game and still had an opportunity to win the damn game at the end, which is mind-blowing in itself. You give it three turnovers, usually the game's, the game's a wrap. We yeah, still had a six. shot. Yeah. yeah, we had a shot to win. But going, going home, man, um, I remember walking off that field, the confetti, Hines is crying. Uh, was sitting in the locker room. It's very somber. It's very quiet. And there's a part of you that's like, listen, we made it to the Super Bowl. Let's just be happy, right? And then there's another part of you that you know you have to walk back into that, fly back to that city where mom and the waiter and the guy at T-Mobile and the little baby with the jerseys, are they're just heartbroken. They're crushed. And you have to go through a whole offseason in this gray-ass city knowing that you just lost the Super Bowl. They were used to, you know, the confetti parades where we were bringing home in Lombardi. And it's, it's a very morbid feeling, man. Just, and on top of that, you don't know if you're going back. You can think you're going back. You can have the same guys ready ready to go to battle with you the next year, but there's no guarantee uh, that you're going to go back. So for us, it was it was hard, man, and it was it was, it was was tough to deal with um, just because we went we, – in our head, we were going to win the Super Bowl and we were going back to Pittsburgh, and we was about to light up the offseason and, and have a funky good time. 
but that wasn't the case. So it is, it's tough to swallow the disappointment. And then once you get back and watch the tape, you're like, oh, that's why we lose, why we lost that game. Do you ever get over it? I mean, you have a ring, so that helps. But do you ever get over not getting another one? No, because the NFL Network doesn't let you. They show it. <laughs> Bastards. They, they, don't, they, show, they show the one you won, and then they show the one you lost. And you're like, well, shit, I was happy two, uh, two weeks ago until you put this shit on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, well, you're, well, listen, you're doing really well, obviously. Continued success in, in, in your broadcasting career over there at Barstool. And uh, the whole point of this was, was to just – Chop it up and talk some fucking football. And- I know. I appreciate I know you wanted some uh, Big Ben stories, man. I apologize. I couldn't. The ones I have are X-rated, man. Well, we'll the- keep those in the vault. We'll keep right. those in the vault. And sometime maybe when we're alone, we'll oh, I got a cocktail. You. We'll I- do that situation. I light you up. I promise. Thanks for having right. me, brother. Willie, I appreciate it, brother. Be well. Be strong. All right. Bless. So once again, our thanks to Willie Colon for joining us. And don't forget... Whenever you want to enhance your sporting experience, use the DraftKings app. And when you do, use it or download it. Make sure you use the promo code WINGO. And we're making a really interesting transition. We went from a big guy episode to another big guy episode. But a guy who started out as a quarterback and somehow ended up as a first-round pick as an offensive lineman. Talk about de-evolving through your playing career. But it's worked for him because he's made a crap ton of money and he's got a Super Bowl ring to show for it as well. I'm talking about the very loquacious and interesting current Eagles offensive tackle, Lane Johnson. That's next week on Half Forgotten History.